CMHC is predicting another 14% increase in real estate prices. Are we really going to believe them? Stay tuned to this month's episode of the Prime Properties TO podcast. I promise you, it'll be worth it. Good day, Toronto. Welcome to this month's podcast with the Prime Props Steel team. Um, I want to take this month's podcast to kind of explain really what the heck is kind of happening because there's a lot of talking heads, including myself, and also like news headlines that say prices are going this way, prices are going this way, and they're kind of contradicting one another, right? So I want to kind of show you in case you missed the uh, last month's podcast of what really is happening because there's so much media headlines out there saying A and then the other people are saying B and A and B just contradict one another. So a lot of people are really confused as to what is actually going on, right? But the first thing I'm going to talk about right now that is of the best importance is CMHC a week or two ago, I think May 6th, yes, May 6th, came out and said prices can climb 14%. Let's just think that in for a second. CMHC, who we're supposed to believe has authority in knowing what the heck is going on in the real estate market. Well, if we remember like a, a little bit more than a year ago, they came out and said prices were going to drop 18%. And we kind of have an idea where that went, right? So are we really going to take <laughs> what they're saying at face value? No, I would say the answer is definitely not. But I mean, they came on and said it in years, right? They're saying it's going to increase 14% in about two years. Now, whether you want to believe that um, is up to you. I have my thoughts on it. So I have some stuff here. Yeah. So I combed through the data and basically it's showing that um, in the next little bit, prices are going to rise 14% nationwide. So this means all of Canada, right? So yeah, this is about headlines trying to grab your attention. It's not necessarily what's going to be correct because if you're scrolling through your phone, which everyone is guilty of at this point, and all you see is headlines, prices climb 14%, you're going to be like, oh, prices climb 14%. But that's not the case. It's nationwide wide, right? So they're going to go from 650 to about $705,000 in the next year and a half, call it, right? But if I, I scan through all of their data, if you look at Toronto, like GTA as a whole, they're saying that prices are going to actually only increase 10%, only 10%, okay? <laughs> so it's less than the nationwide. So they're going to take us to about like $1.1 million to about uh, $1.2 million by the end of 2023, which by my math is a pretty moderate goal, which is like about 5% a year, right? And, you know, in the last 42, oh, I have it right here. <laughs> in the last 42 years, um, the prices have actually been going up by 6% a year. So relative to what the historic appreciation has been, CMHC is coming up quite soft on it, right? So my whole thing on this is they're probably now going to take a little bit of, uh, you know, a more calm approach because I know the head of CMHC has swapped it someone else now, maybe not as <laughs> bullish or bearish on the market. And the other thing that they're saying is that the sales are going to increase um, over $100,000 by, I'm sorry, 100,000 sales by the end of 2021, which is fine, right? Like we broke 20, uh, 100,000 sales like twice in the last like uh, history of all of Toronto sales. But it's not because there's more demand, but like when you just have more people coming in and more houses kind of transacting, this is normal, right? So none of this is kind of going to like, blow your mind or it's gonna be like ooh, is it? like you should live off of it. like this is just a very very uh, like stable calm kind of prediction of like this were to actually happen just move on with life there's nothing the only reason why this is actually like a big headline is because they bulked in the prices by the end of 2023 so that it looks like it's 14 percent but Let's be real. If it's 5% in GTA year, that's nothing. Again, this is just headlines trying to grab your attention, right? 
So this is what I'm saying. Like, you really got to watch out for what you are listening to and what you're reading because you can't take everything at face value, right? You really have to look into the data and God knows, even myself, like, unless I'm reading through the entire article and like at the end of the article, it says, you know, this is actually the fact, like the headlines are just to grab your attention, right? So you have to remember that. Now, what I'm going to do in this one is I'm going to list out all the topics I'm going to talk about in this order and I'm gonna put the timeline stamp like somewhere over here. So you want to go through it because I've been I've gotten some feedback that people like the podcast, but like it's a little bit long. So you want to go through some of the topics. I'll put a timestamp on the screen right now and also um, kind of what I'll be talking about. Right. I've kind of somehow turned this into like a, like a video podcast essay in the last few ones. Anyways, so these are the things we'll be talking about, right? I'm going to, after you guys understand what's happening, I'm going to show you some actual data on the ground because people um, aren't seeing everything that we're seeing with our team, right? And then I'm going to talk about the money supply and commodities, and we'll talk about some taxes and then why interest rates can't go up. And then if they do go up, how you can protect yourself. So all the timestamps will be here uh, once I figure it out on the editing side, right? But the first thing I want to bring everyone's attention back to is Everyone right now is talking about either sales are down or prices are going up. And I, I'm gonna, I talked about it in last, uh, in last month's pod, uh, last video, no, two videos ago about the monthly numbers, right? I'll put a little eye up here if you want to check it out. But basically, it really depends on how you're approaching it, right? So in front of me, again, I apologize for anyone who's actually listening to this you know, via podcast in the car. I, this one's going to be much more visual. Um, it, Right now, prices came down a little bit from last month, okay? But if you're comparing this from last year, it's blowing up. So when they're saying sales are actually down um, like 12 or 14%, I forgot what the actual number is, you have to take into consideration what they're comparing it to, right? So right now, I'm going to rank this in the sales highest to lowest. You can see March 2021, we had 15,000 sales, which in all of history, since I've been tracking this, and this is Treb data, is first. Number one, right here, 15,000. So when last month in April, we got 13,000, yes, we came down you know, 10, 20, 12%, but we're still second ever in history in the most amount of sales. So when you read the headline, sales are down 12%, think about it. Are they down 12% from last month or last year, right? If it's from last month, which is like the ultimate peak right now, that's fine. So then when you look at prices, prices in March, 2021 was just right at $1.1 million. And then the month after in April, which everyone's talking about, prices are down maybe like half a percentage or so, fine. Does it grab headlines? Cause it's like 0. whatever percentage. I'm not gonna do the math on it right now while I'm filming this, it's gonna be bad. Anyway, so like it, doesn't make any sense if you just read the headlines, right? So when you looked at number three, the third most amount of sales ever was just before the foreign buyer tax, which is at a little bit under 13,000. So when you compare sales from March to April, yes, they are down, but they're still at a second all time high, right? So prices aren't really down, but I will say the market is cooling. That is correct. How you define cooling is up to you. Some people think cooling is prices are going to plummet. They're going to crash, drop 20%. My definition is we're de-accelerating. We're not throwing money at every house out there right now. And it's just not uh, what's happening. Whereas some people think prices are coming down and they're going to wait. That's not the case. And this is why I'm going to show you actual data or like you know, data from the ground from us trading. So what I did here is in the last little bit, our team has gone out and done a lot of trades and we've been participating a lot of like multiple offers. And this is just to show you what's kind of going on. 
right? So we got over here. Uh, again, I apologize for anyone who's watching this or sorry, listening to this via car. You're not going to see this. So the first one right here, we have a condo that basically sold, uh, I can't tell here, in May, early May, right? So this is in Fort, uh, this, sorry, this is not the right one. Here we go, right? This is in early April, still in April. So this condo was listed for 430,000. It's less than 500 square feet. It's at Adelaide one. So this is like King West, right? So you see on the left-hand side, um, our team participated and there was 13 offers. Do you know why? Because it's an upgraded, nice, hard loft with a good kind of uh, layout. Although the thing I don't like is, you know, the, the, the bedroom has sliding doors and it's not by window, but this is a very entry level point. So when you're in the five and 600s for a really nice looking condo, Yes, a lot of people are going to be buying it and submitting offers on this because this is a good product. I'm going to move on. We got other properties here. So we got uh, 96 Wilkins. Uh, we got 14 offers on offer night. It was listed for $499, sold for $700,000 for two weeks. This is in Curtis Clarington. It's a nice entry level home, right? You got three bedroom, three bath, and one car garage attached, and it's upgraded nicely. Here's the theme. Nice looking entry level product, lots of offers. Then we got the next one. We got 11738 Woodgate. This is in Oshawa. It is a town, three bedroom, three bath, also one garage, similar to like the last one. Slightly updated. I wouldn't say it's the best, doesn't have stainless steel appliances, but five offers. See, less than the last few. It's a good entry level product, right? So the bathrooms have been updated. There's a nice deck and it faces into the back, right? So there's good features about this, and this is why there's offers. Then we're going to go to the next one. We got 11 McMahon. This is also in Curtis Clarington. So it's listed for $499,900. It had uh, 25 offers on this one. Yeah, 25 offers. As I'm going through this, kitchen's been upgraded, nice subway tile backsplash. A lot of people like that, right? You got cool looking modern fixtures and they have cool closets and they got tile everywhere in the bathroom, right? So it looks nice for three bedroom, three bath, one garage, entry level product for anyone who's having a family. They want to go a little bit further, subdivision life, right? That's it. Then let's, what else, what do we got here? So I got, uh, we're going to the more advanced stuff, right? So now we're back in Toronto. I got, we participated in this a few days ago. So this is at 106 Government. This is in Lambden Kingsway, which is a really, really bougie area in Toronto and has really good school districts. So this was holding offers, uh, supposed to review mon offers on Monday, but then two uh, bully offers came in, one including ours, and it sold for 1.5. It was listed for 1.25. So now in Toronto, we still have bully offers that they're becoming way over asking. This is basically the record in the entire area. But if you look at um, neighboring houses, they're all like, multi-million dollar homes, right? So this is literally the house next door at 108 government. It was sold a week ago and it's $2.7 million, a little bit wider, but they rebuilt the house, right? So the value is in the land. And this is what I'm showing you, right? Like very, very nice looking products will go or entry level, even if they're more expensive, entry level into good neighborhoods are going to make sense, right? So then we got another one. <clears throat> Same thing, this one, first day, two bully offers, listed for $1.4 million, like Leslieville adjacent. Uh, ended up selling for $1.75 million. If you look here, it has two garage, four, three bedroom, four bath, perfect entry level home, really nicely done. You have exposed brick, pot lights throughout, hardwood floor, you got glass rails on the uh, staircase, right? Good looking products are gonna go. 
right? Now we're going to go into a different class. So you got here a Scarborough Town here, a Scarborough Town, sorry, a Scarborough Town, a Scarborough Detach, right, off the highway. They originally had it listed for 1.488 holding offers. They had five offers. And this one has two separate, uh, I think one, no, one separate entrance connects to two separate units so you can get rental income. Not legal, but they had five offers. But if you look down, they didn't get the price they wanted. So they relisted for 1.75, even though they had five offers, right? So a lot of sellers still are expecting more money. They're not getting it. They're doing a price change. And we're seeing a lot of this. There's a lot of, like I, I've shown you good properties that have sold, but there's a lot of properties. And it's not to show you like, oh, we're still really hot. But there's a lot of properties out there that do not have these like really nice features. They're not entry level product or they're not upgraded. And they're just like regular photos. And when you go in, they're very, very like unappealing for lack of a better term. Like there's nothing impressive about them, right? So those things that are holding offers, they're coming back on market and they listed it higher. So there's a lot of price changes because people aren't getting any offers on offer night, right? Like even when in March, we had a lot of people uh, when we we're pulling out offers, the listing agent would never actually call you to see if your buyers were interested in um, submitting an offer because so many people are just throwing offers at the property. They didn't care. Whereas now I'm seeing a lot more people on properties I've looked at, people are asking for feedback. Hey, are your clients interested in putting an offer in? Because they're trying to gauge how much. And that comes from worrying that there's not enough offers because they've positioned it for multiple offers. So when that fails, they relist it like this one at Archimedes and they're going to increase the price. So this one's still sitting on the market right now. So we got another one. I think this just happened a few days ago on Baker on Baker Street. This is an Ajax. This is a legal to um, legal uh, detached where there's a basement apartment. And if you look here, there was two offers registered. They didn't get their price that they wanted. Right. This hasn't been relisted yet, but it clearly here says, hey, we weren't able to reach a deal. So they're going to relist it for a higher price. What it's going to be relisted for? I have no idea. Right. This, this really just happened like a day or two ago. Then you have another one here. We got a townhome, a really, really nice done up townhome um, in the, a nicer part of Richmond Hill by Young and 16th or Carville, right? And it was listed at $1 million. It had three offers and it sold for $1.1 million. It showed really, really nice. It was one of those new modern uh, townhomes. And there you go. Uh, it got, got its sold price. And then we have another one. This one actually is a really good one. It's a Fort York property. The view is really bad, but for 600, it was listed for $550,000. It had five offers and it sold for $620,000. It, this condo is like 15 years old, right? It's one of the original condos that allowed for Airbnb. So the appliances are a little bit older, but you can see here, they upgraded the quartz. They put nice fancy faucets in. They redid the floors. It was laminate. Personally, I don't think it was that great, but I mean, it shows very nice compared to a lot of the other condos that don't have some of these features, right? So then this one sold with five offers. I'm gonna show you, like if you look in the bathroom, I believe, yeah, the bathrooms weren't that updated. It was still like from 15 years ago. So for a product to go, it really has to stand out from the rest. You can't just put some standard house, like, you know, builder finishes, no upgrades, not, not even stage and expect it to hold offers and sell. No, that's not happening for it. And that's what I mean by the market is cooling. It's not that like uh, people aren't putting offers on buying stuff. They are, but they're more, they're less rushed. There's less FOMO in the market right now. And they're actually taking their time looking at things. But when something good comes up, there are actually offers. So that's kind of the state of the market right now. And I kind of pulled a bunch of um, like data points from everything just to give you an idea. It's kind of all over the place, right? Like the highest we've seen was like offers in like 
20 offers and the stuff that's in downtown condo around the $500,000 price point. But when you get into like the six, seven, we're looking at three to four. Uh, when you're looking at the really, really nice multi-million dollar properties, maybe we're seeing th- uh, two to five, sometimes bully if it's a really nice property. And then when we're moving into the suburbs, we're seeing like two to three properties only if it's updated, it looks really nice. So that's kind of what like I think the situation in the lay of the land is right now. So depending on what you're looking for and what you're trying to buy, it obviously is going to be varying different. So you can't just read the headline saying market's cooling, sales are down 12%, blah, 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 blah. And you apply it to basically what you're looking for, what you're trying to sell. It's totally different. That is just a headline. So if you guys like content like this, make sure you smash that like button for us and subscribe to the Prime Property channel. And if all of this data I just showed you, like, you know, data on the ground is kind of confusing for you, then and because you don't know where to buy or sell, then you can reach out to me. I'll put a link in the description so we can figure out what exactly is happening in the pocket or the area of the real estate market that you're trying to target, whether you're buying or selling, right? So I'll put a link on the screen. If you're listening to some podcast, it's www.chatwithzen.com. Otherwise, the screen thing will be up here. Right. So the second thing I want to talk about is the supply of money. Like I got really, really nerdy the other day and I was just trying to compare the supply of money to what the prices of real estate is. If you've watched some of my previous podcasts, I've compared the price of real estate to the value of gold. And I wanted to use the value of gold because gold is known to store its value, right? Meaning that if there's more supply of money, and when I say supply of money, it's just the government printing money. There's a lot of people talking about it. Some people call it inflation, but it's generally there's just more in, sorry, in general, there's just what it's talking about is there's more money coming into the system, right? And I've always used the analogy. It's like simple supply and demand in economics, right? If you have 10 apples and you have $10, each apple is $10. In a world where post-pandemic, where every single like, you know, first world nation has been increasing their supply of money, meaning they've like printed more money, whether through like credit or actual cash and like stimulus checks or like CERB. Now, instead of $10, we have $20. So therefore, the apples are now $2, right? Because $20, 10 apples, $2 each instead of 10 apples, $10, a dollar each. So I talked about the price of gold compared to the price of Toronto real estate and Vancouver real estate. You can click a little eye up here for that little chunk. But basically, when you compare it to gold, the money, uh, the price of real estate has actually gone down. So I've been asking this question a lot, a lot of times in a lot of my content or even when I talk to a lot of my clients. Ask yourself this question, is the price of real estate going up or is the value of the money you own going down, right? So now I basically pulled up another nerdy chart here for you guys. So we're going to be talking about the supply of money. So in like economics term, there is something called the um, M2 money supply. But for the sake of just talking in layman's term, because I've noticed a lot of economists, they don't talk about like... um, it's stuff in layman's term and it just confuses the crap out of people, right? So if you want to get technical, it's called M2 money supply, but realistically, it's just how much money is in the system. So you can see here in this chart, I've mapped the average price, which is in purple, and you can see it kind of like escalates going up. Let me give me a little marker. So you can basically start from 2000, it's kind of gone up, right? And we always knew that we're at like $1.1 million. That's fine. And then the blue line is the average price increase, right? So you got this line coming across here, which is zero. So if it dips below that line, it means that that year the prices actually came down. And we saw that in 2018, which is correct because that was just after the stress test and the foreign buyer tax. And then you have 
uh, orange, which is the average increase in money supply or decrease. But you can see we've never lost money in the money supply because the government doesn't take money away, okay? <laughs> they only add more money to the supply. So the first thing I'm going to draw your attention to is basically let's follow the orange line. When the orange line goes up, does the real estate price go up? Because the theory here is that when there's more money into the system, back to the apples analogy, 10 apples, $10, when you add more money, $20 and 10 apples, the cost of things go up. So this is inflation, right? So this is why, you know, cost of lumber has gone up. A lot of people have talked about that. Like my grocery bills have gone up, right? Um, when I'm trying to buy things, they've gone up. My haircut has gone up. A lot of things have gone up and we measure that in CPI, which is consumer price index, which is a baloney index because it doesn't measure like real estate and and we all know that's inflated like crazy because prices have gone up like 20 to 30 percent depending on each pocket you're in so we're going to measure the money supply and how much the government has put into the system relative to the percentage increase in price for real estate so you can see in 2000 the money supply went up 15 percent that means if there was ten dollars we went up 15 percent now there's a lot eleven dollars and fifty cents into the money supply look real estate prices went up the money supply wasn't as high look real estate prices didn't go up as much remember just because the little line is coming down doesn't mean it's actually down it's just it's down relative to last year right so you know at this price point or at this point it's 15 percent uh, increase in money supply. And at this point, it's like 10% increase in real estate prices. Then in the next year, you can see here, it's, you know, like 8% in money supply and like 7% in real estate prices. So you can continue when we follow this, every time the money supply goes up, the real estate prices also go up. Every time we slow down the money supply, it doesn't increase as much. Look, it's literally matched line for line. Literally. So when we talk about how much money the government is putting into the system, and spoiler alert, they just put like 20% in, la in last year's and prices went up 20 to 30%. Hello, right? So in 2008, we have the first divergent, meaning the lines don't match one another. So we got uh, money supply here and we kind of printed our way out of it, right? So I don't want to get too nerdy here, but basically like any like companies that were like going under like JP Morgan and all those things, they got bailed out and the government bought all their debt and it's now on the government, right? But because uh, people were freaking out, right? So this is external stimulus. People didn't want to buy those like the ninja loans, you know, no income, no job applications in US. Then real estate prices didn't increase as much. It actually went down. Right now, obviously, in US, you know, prices like plummeted way down to here, which is like minus 10%. Whereas in Canada, we're just at a cool, you know, up 1%. So that's the first divergent. Then, as they increase the money supply over 15%, look, rebound right there. I'm going to make you remember that that's the first kind of like economic call it crisis. Then we had COVID, right? So then we follow along, kind of everything matches more or less the same. Every time they increase the money supply, real estate prices go up. Then we had 2015 and 2016 where there wasn't as much real uh, sorry money printed in. And you remember what happened in 2015, 2016? That was the massive condo boom and everyone talking about foreign money coming in. So prices shot up like crazy shot up. So again, another external stimulus, right? And then when we came into 2017, we all know the foreign buyer tax. So bam, right back down. So the money supply in those years didn't change, but there was some kind of stimulus in the real estate market that actually changed it. And then in 2018, money supply came down a little bit, but we know another uh, 
supply stimulus or, you know, uh, what's the opposite word? A lack of stimulus. Uh, anyways, there's, no, there's less demand. I'm losing my words here. So in 2018, there's less demand because stress tests came down, right? So that's when prices actually fell a little bit, but the money supply stayed the same. So then we chug along in uh, 2019. And 2019, at the end of it, that's kind of when the pandemic started hitting. And then 2020, boom, money supply shot right up. CERB, liquidity, interest rates down. So it's throwing money at everything. Basically, 26% increase in money supply, right? So back to the analogy, we had $10. We, our $10 became $12.60. And look what happened to real estate prices. Boom, right up to 15%. This blue line actually should be up to about 20%. It's just, I don't have the 2021 data on me because I don't want to use an inconsistent one because I was using it at the end of the year. 2021 hasn't ended yet, but when 2021 ends, it's definitely up here. So the reason why I got really nerdy and to show you this is we really need to stop measure, or I guess it depends on you, maybe for me anyways. And when I measure uh, real estate prices, I'm not measuring it in what the actual dollar amount is. I'm measuring into how much uh, demand there is versus how much supply of money there is. And very obviously, when you look at this money supply versus real estate grow- growth, you can see that it matches. So the question comes back to, is real estate prices going up or are is there too much money in the system so that these assets are increasing in price? That is what I want to, again, bring your attention back to. Is real estate prices going up or is the value of the money going down because the government constantly is printing so much of it? So in the next few years, like Canada follows the U.S. very, very closely, right? So whenever there's interest rate hikes and everything, we follow them to a T. And uh, our, the head, uh, not prime minister, the president in U.S., Biden, he plans to do another $4 trillion of stimulus for, you know, uh, building bridges and putting, uh, putting more jobs back into U.S. And what's that going to happen? Well, it's going to drive up the global money supply in the world, global money supply. And Canada, we're just like a little speck because you have to remember, California has more people than all of Canada, right? So we're not like... We don't make the market trends globally. We just follow. We're just like a peon in this, right? We don't drive the market. We follow the global market. So when everyone's printing money at like, you know, 20% last year, and they're going to continue like $4 trillion, do you think this orange line is going to stay up here? And if the orange line stays up there, what's going to happen to real estate prices? Just like that. I'm not even talking about supply and demand of people coming in, immigration, not enough housings and whatever. I'm just strictly talking about money supply. When people have too much money, and they're putting, they have to put it somewhere and they need to buy assets, that's where they're buying real estate because real estate holds the value of their money better than actual the currency. Because if the money supply is going up like 20% every year, this think about this, this is very important. That means your dollars are worth 20% less every year. So unless you're increasing your income or your salary by 20% every single year, you are not making enough money to keep the value of your money. That means in a few years time, your you know, salary is going to be worth 20% less. And this is called a running rate. If you don't beat this running rate, that means you're going to get, I hate using this word, but like you're going to get poorer and poorer, like less wealthy because there's just so much supply that, of money that's being printed in. And this is how the wealth gap is going to like blow up. The people who ha- own assets, so people who own, own real estate, who own stocks, own things that keep value, right? And I always joke about this, but it's actually real. Like NFTs, Pokemon cards, fine art. 
that stuff holds its value because if you buy it at say $10 and in future, uh, you know, there's $20 in the system, that thing still stays at $10, right? Maybe it just becomes $20 and that's appreciation, right? But if you really look at it, is it appreciation or is it just balancing to how much money supply there actually is? And that's what the critical thinking I'm trying to get you to think about, right? You really have to think about, do you need to own assets so that your spending dollars that you've earned, yeah, you've put in effort, like you worked hard, you work 40 to 60 hours a week to make, you know, 80 to $100,000. But if you're losing 20% every single year because of the money printing, what are you going to do with your money? Are you just going to uh, put it and spend it or are you going to put it into something so that it keeps its value so that you can spend it in the future, right? So these are all the things I really, really want to make you think about. And then I'm just going to pile on a couple more things, right? Like, we know lumber, uh, copper, aluminum, steel, all that stuff is increasing in price, including like cost of contractors and stuff. Like, you have no idea how much contractors are getting paid right now. If all of that stuff is required to build a house, and we'll just call that a commodity, what's going to happen to real estate prices? Because if you can't build without uh, all these supplies I just mentioned, like lumber, steel, aluminum, concrete, and all that stuff went up in like you know, 100, 300, 400%, What's that going to do to your end result of you know, a house? It's going to go up by that percentage, right? Because I, I talked about this before in different contents and different videos. I talked about how there was um, a replacement cost in insurance, right? Which is basically, I bought a house, let's just call it for $100,000. And I got insurance for it because it was worth $100,000 in case it burns down, right? So the replacement cost to replace that house would have been $100,000. But recently, some of my insurance quotes that I've been renewing uh, for that $100,000 house, now the replacement cost is $200,000, meaning my replacement cost for the house is much higher because the cost to replace that house, like lumber, steel, commodity, uh, sorry, not, lumber, steel, concrete, aluminum, all that stuff, brick, stone, right, has increased in price. So just think about it. It's not that money is like, uh, sorry, it's not that real estate prices are going up in value. It's the cost, sorry, the value of money is going down, right? So you really, really have to think about what you want to do. Now, um, I'm going to move on to the next topic. And a lot of people um, kind of who understand the economy have this philosophy about modern money theory, right? And I'm not going to get too nerdy. But basically, it's just this theory that someone came up with that how you deal with um, taxes and how you deal with like the supply of money is you inflate and you put a ton of money into the system. So kind of exactly like what the, you know, the government is doing right now, just throwing money at it. So everything inf- increases in price, right? Real estate, groceries, my haircut, all the things I keep talking about, Pokemon cards, they increase in price. And when the inflation gets out of hand, they tax, they tax, meaning that they curb the demand. And this is the problem I've always said about governments. They never fix the supply side, not just real estate, but they always just fix things on the demand side. So they're able to control the demand side um, with uh, money printing versus taxation. So this is why I was saying, like, if you're an investor, right, just fully, fully be prepared. There is going to be some kind of taxes coming your way uh, because we're basically at the top of the food chain from like a socialist type of world. I'm not going to get political, but like those who have like I've, t- I've talked about before, right? Like, uh, you know, the have nots to the have yachts, right? So those who have yachts are getting taxed. You can see in the federal budget, you know, there's a luxury tax already on anything over a hundred grand, like boats, yachts, expensive cars, right? It's going to be taxed on that. So there's a tax right there. So real estate investors, do you think a tax is coming? Absolutely. Are you going to maybe increase capital gains tax on investment properties? I wouldn't be surprised, right? 
But there's a lot of things that are going to happen in the next few years because they need to curb this money like printing and how they're going to curb it is by taxing things. So I would not be surprised as an investor that taxes are coming down in the future. Is it going to stop me from investing and buying other properties? No, because this is just the type of game that the government has put on us. We have to play it. And I've been saying this. This is the cost of admission. Like for a lot of uh, first-time investors, if you're watching this or then who wants to invest, like a really, really big hurdle for a lot of people is we, you know you have a lot of equity and money in your primary home, but you have a fixed mortgage because you didn't listen to me and you got a variable mortgage. <laughs> Sad joke. <laughs> but like when you break your fixed mortgage, it's going to cost a lot of money. But when you break it and you can buy an investment property that maybe makes you eighty to $100,000 in the coming years, but it costs you $10,000 to break it, that's the cost of admission. Right, you have to make pay money to make money. So a lot of the more sophisticated investors or anyone who's in equities or stock trading, you are going to have to pay the cost of admission to make money. You need to spend money to make money. That's how you get time back. Right, money when it's constantly being printed has no value. It's the time that we spend making the money that actually has value. So if you're spending money to make money, you're not losing anything that is valuable. Especially the fact that money's not worth anything anymore. At least. My perspective ruins devalued. So it's really about getting your time back. And then the other thing is like as a first, anyone who's looking to like invest in first time, right? Like if you're not investing and say money supply is going up 20% a year, if your income's not going up 20% a year, or if you don't have any investments that's going up 20% a year, what's happening to your net worth? It's going down 20% a year. So it's a really crappy thing because it's almost like you're forcing people to play this game. And this is what I'm saying. The government's forcing us. You're forcing them to pay this money that people aren't used to because everyone just wants to save money, have a good life, and then have money to retire. But now when that money you saved in the future, say like 10, 20 years, like $100 you save is worth like $2, you're forced to play this game. You're forced to pay money. You're forced to pay admission just so that you have to understand all of this. And this is why I'm providing this, all, all this information to you. You need to understand what the heck is happening because if you don't, then you're going to have a very grim financial future because this is, again, all the things that the government are forcing us to do. So investors out there, if you hear about taxes coming or first-time investors, you hear about taxes coming, unfortunately, this is just the cost of emission. If you want to survive this ginormous money inflation that's going to be happening in the future... You just have to play the game, right? And I hope this is enough information for you to understand why we need to play the game. Because if you don't play the game, you're kind of forced to play the game. And if you don't play, you're going to lose anyways. It's kind of like playing Monopoly and you just refuse to roll the dice. If everyone's constantly circling around, go picking up $200, even though the $200 is worth less, at the very least, they're picking up $200. If you're not even rolling the dice, you ain't winning. You ain't doing anything in the game of Monopoly, right? So that's just kind of an analogy I'll use. I'm not sure it was a good analogy. But anyways, that, that's kind of the point I'm trying to get. Now, the other thing is when inflation happens, interest rates are going to go up. So I'm going to barrel this down, back down to for investors. When interest rates go up, your cost of mortgages are going to go up, right? So your carrying costs is going to go up. So there's a gentleman uh, who's a really smart guy uh, by Greg Foss. He has a really, really good um, example that I kind of... I'm going to borrow from. And it explains it very easily as to what's kind of happening, right? And why we have this ginormous debt spiral. So right now, the debt to GDP ratio, meaning if I'm going to bring this back to grade nine math algebra. So debt's at the top and GDP is at the bottom. Debt is how much money we owe. And I'm going to try to do this in very, very like basic layman's term because I find everyone 
complicates this too much. And like, you really have to, you know, learn about this terminology to understand it. Anyway, so debt is how much money we owe. GDP at the bottom is how much money we have. And generally in governments, that's through taxations, right? So, you know, if we say our GDP is high, it means that, you know, more, uh, consumer products and services are sold so that more taxes were there, right? So that's kind of a form of GDP, a measurement of GDP. So right now, the debt to GDP ratio is four times generally in, the, in Canada, which is kind of silly. So for every dollar that we have, like, you know, quote unquote created, we have borrowed $4, which means that we have to basically not spend anything for four years, right? Because you know, every year, one year of GDP in order to pay back all the debt. And this is why we talk about the debt spiral. Now, who do we owe, like, who do we owe this debt to? Well, a lot of people, we have, like, we have to pay this debt back to a lot of people in the form of what we call government bonds. I'm not going to get there, but basically all the debt that we have, the government of Canada has to pay a certain percentage of interest back to the people so that we can, quote unquote, lend. And generally, there are, it's about 3%. So you do the math. If the debt at the top is four times GDP. So that means it's 4X already. And you're paying 3% interest on that. That means at that current rate, you're paying 12% growth. That means debt is going at 12% because four times three is 12 over the GDP. Now, obviously our GDP is going to increase as we come out of the economy. But the real question is, can it ever increase more than the amount of debt servicing we have? And debt servicing is just, again, another fancy term for we owe way too much money. We have to pay interest on it. So I've uh, shared my screen here, which is the uh, St. Louis Federal Reserve uh, data. And I'm just using U.S. because, you know, they're known as a power economy, right? So this is a chart of year-over-year -year growth in GDP. So you can see back in, you know, back in the post-war era, the GDP growth was at 15%. But let's just skip towards, you know, the 2000s right now, just because, you know, let's just do 20 years. Let's not do 70 years. Uh, if this website was cooperating with me. There we go. All right. So now you can see here in the last 20 years or so, the highest we've ever seen GDP was at 6.4, let's just call it 6.5%. We are right now doing 12% over six. Therefore, we are never, ever, 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 ever going to pay back our debt. So when people say interest rates are going to go up, it most definitely will. But how much and can we survive it? It's how you have to plan your portfolio as real estate investors. But do you know what the idea for people like the government, so not people, uh, the government of Canada or like just globally, how they're going to make this go away. We have to inflate it away. And let me explain to you what that means. When you have a lot of money coming into the system, I've talked about it before, right? Like we have a lot of money that comes in that uh, creates taxes, which is kind of like land transfer tax, you know, HST harmonized tax and all that stuff. The more money we have in the system, the more taxes that we're able to produce because it's the wealth effect. When people feel rich, they spend more and then we create more taxes, right? So in this little chart here, um, I took this from Scott Ingram. Uh, this is about the tax revenue for the city of Toronto in 2019. You can see that the land transfer tax has increased 13% year over year. It's much higher than that now. And this is about $800 million of taxes or uh, it should be about a billion now. But as a percentage, right, it's about 5% of the revenue of Toronto. So let's do the math. If you print money, you put a ton of money into the system, right? And people feel rich. They buy real estate. You have land transfer tax. You have capital gains tax. You are now pumping money into the system, which therefore increases your GDP. You see that? So 
now we're increasing the denominator of the formula in math. So when you have high GDP growth and you flush money into the system, that's how you're going to make this debt go away. You make the debt look so small by having crazy GDP growth by pumping money into the system. That's how you make all of this debt spiral go away. And that's one of the philosophies of modern money theory, right? So that's kind of what they're trying to do. So the real question is, if we're pumping all this money into the system, inflation is coming, interest rates are going to come, what do we do as real estate investors, right? So I'm going to take out the calculator here for you again, right? So I use, um, I make a little video, I made a video about uh, investment properties and what we did out in Durham with one of my clients, Milton. Again, shout out to Milton, I'm using your data again. Uh, You can click the little eye up here to watch the video. But I'm going to use his investment property as an example. So we bought the property. Oh, if anyone wants to see what the property looks like, I think I have it here somewhere. No, I don't. Anyways, okay, I don't. Uh, but it's like, it was a legal duplex that had upstairs and downstairs. So right now in a world where there's a lot of money printing and credit is low and interest rates are low, say it's at 2%, right? At the end of the day, the property uh, that uh, my client bought is paying itself 1300 bucks, right? It's the interest rate, I'm pretty sure you got less than 2%. I, I forgot what it is, but it's paying for itself in $1,300. So if interest rates go up as an investor to say 3.5%, which is back to where it was pre-pandemic level, right? Which I think is more than likely a hassle. This is the in, uh, interest rate increase that's going to happen. And I think it makes sense. If it's going to expe- uh, increase more than that, possibly. But for point of illustration, I put 3.5%. Now, what's going to happen is, yes, you basically lost about $500 in cash flow by the interest rate going up 1.5% or 150 bips, right? But you're probably still paying yourself. So investors, you're safe. Now, if you were to buy a condo, and this is the condo I think I used that had 25 offers as an example here. Yeah, this one, right? Really nice looking condo. You buy it, you can probably get rents of $1,900 right now. So if you were to rent it out as an investor, right now, your minus is 150 bucks, which surprisingly is pretty good. It actually is pretty good relative to what some of the numbers are right now. But if the rates were to increase to 3.5%, now you're minus $500 a month. So when rates go up as an investor, if you're losing money every, every single month, 500 bucks a month, and you're reading headlines, the world's going to burn, you know, interest rates are going to go up some more, real estate prices are coming. Are you going to sell? Yes. And when a lot of people who freak out and sell, and I saw this in the pandemic, I've been calling this out. You need cash flow properties for this reason. When people freak out and they sell, that's when the uh, supply side goes up. And that means you're going to lose money because the real estate prices are going to come down in prices because there's more supply than there is demand, right? And we know inflation is going to, sorry, uh, real estate price, uh, uh, interest rates are going to go up. So let's play worst case scenario. Is it going to go to 5%? Maybe. Do I think it's going to go to 5%? Very low chance, but let's just say it does, right? So the property that my client bought is still cash flow positive $300. So he's protected. When he reads headlines about the world blowing up, it's not, he's going to be okay. Maybe rent increase, that's fine. We leave it as is. He doesn't have to sell because it's self-serve, uh, sorry, self-sustaining. I call it self-liquidating, right? It means it pays for itself. Whereas if you had the condo, now you're looking at minus $800 a month, right? So this is when... Um, People are definitely going to freak out. They're like, oh my God, $1,000 a month, right? Uh, Or $860 a month after lose. So this is the effect of increasing interest rates. And this applies to the exact same thing for anyone who owns a home. If you stretch yourself to buy a home and you're kind of a little bit... 
stretched, <laughs> I guess that's the term I want to use, then you know your cost is going to go up. You have to be ready for that. So the current stress test actually testing you at 5%. So most of the time, people with their current incomes are able to make that payment. The problem is, if we are going to hit some craziness and you know you lose your job, you're kind of royally screwed. So this is why you sometimes want to stay below what your means are unless you have a really stable job. And everyone has a different level of risk tolerance, right? Some people may have just gotten laid off and they freak out about the job. Some people may have been in a job for 20 years and they survived COVID and they're fine, right? So it just depends on your, your risk tolerance as a person. But the other thing that a lot of people always fail to remember when it comes to like prices going up or something, I keep saying prices, uh, infl- interest rates going up is that if you've owned a property for like three to four years, you have equity in it, right? So you can always re-amortize your mortgage, meaning you can take your increased, uh, say, you know, you went from $100 to $800 a month, but you own some property, you redo your entire mortgage and you reduce your rates. Or so you reduce your monthly carrying costs. So that's something a lot of people do. But what I will say is when we do see interest rates go up, it does affect a lot of people in the real estate market and it's a really big driving force. So those are things I got to watch out for. But that's just the worst case scenario. But when I always come back to it, it's like, are we going to be able to increase the interest rate very much? Because we, when we increase the interest rate, the amount of debt we have to service, right, we have to pay back, also increases. So these are two counters and things I'm constantly watching to see what's going to happen. Do I think interest rates will go up? Yes. Are they going to increase enough to where it's going to blow up the real estate market? I don't think so because... Everyone who's in real estate just thinks interest rate affects real estate market. It's not. It affects the entire economy, right? And in real estate, I think I did the math last time, right? Like the amount of transactions is like 3% of the population. So only 3% of the population are looking at real estate prices, more or less, right? Because they're transacting, buying, and selling. But everybody else, they don't care about interest rates relating to real estate. They look at it for other things, borrowing for their business, right? What their credit card loans are, what their line of credits are. That's all the stuff that's kind of out there, right? So the whole purpose of all of this is to, one, give you critical thinking and to see whether money is being devalued or is real estate prices going up. Think about it. Second thing is what's happening in the actual real estate market with all the data points I just showed you because there's a lot of contra- uh, contradicting stuff you know, left and right depending on which media headline you look at and w- whether you read the full article. And then the third thing is whether we're going to get out of this like debt spiral. right? I, when you mix all these three things together, if you buy smart assets that self-liquidate, meaning they pay for themselves and they can service the debt by themselves and you hold on to these things because we know the government is going to print the way they print their way away print the money away so the asset prices are just going to go up to the roof and as long as you can hold on to those things in the long term you are going to come out alive and that's the whole purpose of this <laughs> essay podcast right is to make you understand so if you made it to the end and you understand what my theory in investing and philosophy and all this like giant you know i call it economy kind of stuff is then you'll understand why I am still a big proponent of buying cash flowing investment real estate because that's how the money I'm, uh, I'm earning is going to go into because I want to preserve the actual value of my money, right? So this makes a lot of sense to you and you want to see what we're doing with some of our clients, you can book a strategy call with me. It'll be www.chatofzen.com. It'll be a link up here to book it. And if you don't want to chat with me, that's fine. I just really hope you understand what is happening right now. Like I was talking about earlier in the money system game. You have to play. The government is forcing you to play with all this money printing. So you really got to ask yourself, what is the value of your money going to be in five, 10 years? And if you want to preserve it, you need to do something with it. If you don't care, that's fine. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I, like My whole belief, and I always believe this is, you can only help those who are willing to want to be helped, right? So the analogy I always give my wife is, if you're you know, drowning in the ocean, if I 
uh, throw a little of those inflatable donuts down there for you. It's up to you to grab onto that donut so you can save your life. Some people just won't listen and some people just don't want to grab onto that donut. And that's perfectly fine, right? I just really hope maybe even if that was you at some point listening to this and going all, to, all the way to end, trigger something so that you think critically about what is happening to the value of money because that's the whole purpose of this, to give you an idea just put that little idea into your head so that you really look out for your financial well-being in the future because we are forced to play this stupid, silly money game. And I just hope that we all win at the end. That's it. Anyways, hope this was helpful for you. If you guys have any questions or want to book that strategy call, again, the link is up here. Until next time, your move, your future. See ya. Now that you're done watching this one, how about this one? Oh, you know what? This one's good too. Ooh, this one's really good. You know what? Just watch the most.